Graduates Conversations podcast. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to our All Graduates Conversations podcast. And today I am very, very lucky to have Mark Painting with me, who is the CEO from Nati. And um, welcome, Mark. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Fatih. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming. I'm sure you are very, very busy, so I really appreciate making the time to uh, chat to us today. No trouble. Um, all right. Uh, we said Mark is the current CEO of Nati, and um, I just want to ask you, Mark, what is Nati and what do they do, especially for those new practitioners out there? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure majority of our listeners would know what Nati is and what they do, but, you know, just as a bit of an introduction. Sure. Thanks, Fatih. And uh, yes, I certainly hope most of the existing practitioners are, are well aware, but essentially Nati is the national certifying authority for people working in the translating and interpreting profession in Australia. And as a general rule, uh, you need to hold a Nati certification uh, to work in most uh, public services in Australia. Um, most people don't understand that the, the core purpose of Nati's existence is really about uh, providing a level of confidence to the consumers. So the people who need the services of a translator interpreter, having some uh, sort of standards authority means that they can have confidence uh, in knowing that this person uh, working with for them or helping them uh, is, uh, is appropriately qualified and suitable. Very good. Thank you. And uh, Mark, how long have you been with Nati? I understand today marks uh, a bit of a milestone for you. Yes, yes. I'm just about to have the next day or so my, uh, my five-year anniversary, Fadi. So uh, it seemed like a while ago and a lot has, a lot has happened in that time, but, uh, but I've enjoyed it and it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating industry. Uh, I've been really imp I'm so impressed with the uh, professionalism uh, and, and dedication and the passion for which people have uh, for their work in this industry. I've been interpreter since 2015 and uh, you were the first CEO that I, I knew. And um, it's definitely been a, a wonderful last five years. Um, and uh, it's been especially probably quite challenging for you the past six months or so, hasn't it? Yes, indeed. Uh, well, well, yes, the whole whole period has been challenging for different reasons. Uh, the challenges of more recent times are, of course, uh, out of our control, uh, uh, and it keeps and it continues to throw up challenges. Uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, and we continue uh, to find ways around that and keep adapting. Um, but luckily, we've built some real agility and flexibility into our system that, that that's helping us uh, at least uh, enabling us to continue business. If, if it's okay with you, Mark, let's uh, scale it back a couple of years to the start of 2018. I'd like to speak to you about the certification system. I guess we can still call it the, the new certification system. Um, now, what, why did we need to change our system from the accreditation system to the certification system? I mean, what happened? What, what pushed you to make this decision? And, and how long was the actual uh, time when you were preparing for this? How long did it take? Mm. Yeah, uh, thanks, Fadi. Very good question. And, and look, the, the old system or the accreditation system, as we used to know it, had been around for around about 30 years and had been subject to practically little or no change in that uh, in that whole time. Uh, so initial uh, work undertaken, I think, probably around the 2012-13 mark by uh, a group of esteemed uh, professionals in, in the industry in Australia made some made some recommendations. Um, 
and I guess that kicked off a journey of of professionalism. So one of the underlying drivers of the of the change was really about trying to uh, take uh, this industry and, and into as uh, see it as a modern profession. And so the recommendations of that report, you know, were focused around the testing, but there was much more than that, and also um, made recommendations about uh, training requirements prior to testing, um, the need for specialisations and also the ongoing professional development requirements. So uh, we also wanted out of it uh, a single national universal system where every practitioner in the industry uh, basically had the same requirements irrespective of how you got certified or when you got it or what pathway you chose to get there. And so that started a, a lot of planning work and, and a number of over a number of years. And whilst the initial focus uh, was very much around, you know, the, the, the test and the, the fitness for purpose of the test itself and how that might be improved. The further we went into that, the more we realised that uh, just changing that alone you know, we'll fix some things, but it actually won't be, uh, won't, won't be sufficient to have uh, the impact we needed. So uh, lots of other um, developments grew from from that and we realize you know if, if we want the industry to be perceived as a, a profession and nati is a you know a central player in that then we also had to do a lot of work internally about our systems and processes and our method of engagement with stakeholders and so forth so whilst we're doing lots of work on the design and development around new tests and, and setting up the certification system we're also doing a lot of work internally on improving our uh, systems and processes and technology and, and various things so um, it turned out to be a much bigger uh, project because it ended up being essentially an organisational, a transformation uh, across the board. And so that's why uh, it has been, you know, I said a very, very tough five years, but a very rewarding one because we're now starting to see uh, some benefits of that. Um, very good. I've, I've definitely, uh, as, a, as a practitioner and a trainer, um, I can definitely see the benefits of the new system uh, already in regards to the training of the interpreters too, and, and the translators, of course. So congratulations on the entire team that has been involved over the last five years. And then, and then beyond that as well, where you said initially it was 2011, 2012. So thank you on behalf of all the practitioners and trainers out there um, for this transition period. Thanks. And I should just mention a couple of other benefits that, that come out of that. One of the real problems we had uh, was, was data. Uh, both in terms, you know, when we went into this, we had no idea how many, uh, when you, uh, because people had no need to keep engaged with Nadia as such, we had no real means of knowing what the real, uh, how many practitioners were actually out there. We knew how many people had been certified over 30 or 40 years, but not how many were necessarily. How many current. was actually working? Correct. Yeah. Um, because people had no need to keep engaged and we had, you know, people who we knew uh, who had anecdotally had information that had passed away, but of course they're still in the, the system, people who had retired or moved on, and other people who got an accreditation and the old system um, for, other, for reasons other than wanting to work in the profession. So, you know, our system said we had tens of thousands, you know, like 70 or 80,000 current the technically current practitioners and we just and we knew that was just not right. So the data we have now, we can give exact numbers on the profile of the workforce by language and location um, pretty quickly. 
When you say for other purposes, do you mean, for example, people who are doing it for immigration purposes? Yeah, so people who uh, got uh, an accreditation uh, and enabled them to get some um, points, uh, some migration points toward the points-based visa. Uh, and that was fine, but what it meant was these people were were um, getting accreditation and therefore appearing in the official statistics with no real intent of working. So one of the other changes we made in the system was we uh, designed a uh, separate test called the uh, Credentialed Community Language Test, and that is a, a test of language proficiency. And we have that as a separate part of the business and people do that and they get their uh, letter to say they've been tested, but they never enter our system as a certified practitioner in the profession. That, that makes a huge difference. That way you know exactly who is doing the practitioner work, who isn't. And from the practitioners that are doing the work, you know exactly how much work they're doing and where they're doing it. Yeah, and if they don't remain in the in the um, profession, they don't keep working, they'll naturally drop off because of the recertification process. So our data will be pretty reliable. And the other very important about, uh, part about our data is um, the information we have on the tests itself and the performance of candidates uh, because we have really good uh, recordings, we have information on uh, all of the, right down to the task level of, across the board of aggregated data of the tasks and the particular areas that are causing um, the most challenge for candidates. And that, because what we've built, designed this system in a way where it's uh, designed for ongoing review and improvement that we can make little changes along the way without having to make a massive change after 30 years like last time. So we'll be sharing some of that aggregated data with training institutions over the next few months. And that'll give me information on the sort of tasks and areas where uh, the students from that institution uh, are finding the most difficult. So we do have a really good stock of, uh, of valuable data. That way, everything from the trainer uh, point of view and Nati's point of view, we can update as needed with all this data that's coming through and its evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. So evaluation is a really key part. And we've now got enough, you know, we've got several thousand tests in the system. So we, we're getting to that point of having enough to start uh, doing some of that work. Magnificent. Uh, well done on that. Well, um, in regards to interpreters transitioning from accreditation to certification, I mean, how successful was the transition period? Did you have everyone transition? Was there anyone left behind? I mean, and like what pushed the practitioners to transition? What encouraged them? What happened if they didn't? Yeah, well, uh, I'll start in reverse order. So the, the 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 motivations we had there for people to transition, and clearly we wanted we wanted everyone because we want everyone uh, in in the system. Um, there was no cost to do so. So, so basically, people just had to demonstrate that they were actually working, and as long as they would did that, um, they could transition over. And we had the period open for more than two years, about two and a half years altogether. Uh, the first year or so of that was at no cost. And then after that, we introduced a, a small admin fee. Um, but basically, uh, as all people had to do was demonstrate they they were working. Um, the motivations there was that also upon a certification, uh, people who were interested in being listed on the online NARTI directory, which was uh, most people, that was all included. So they used to pay for that separately. That was included in uh, also products like uh, uh, interpreter ID cards and translator stamps are all provided uh, at no cost. So um, as a bit of incentive to get people over. And of course, that is our plan to continue on uh, that way as well. So in terms of numbers, <clears throat> like I said before, 
we didn't have a good handle. Uh, we only had anecdotal evidence. We knew the number of existing practitioners out there was definitely not the 70 or 80,000, according to our system. We thought that it was somewhere closer to 10. The data was completely, uh, completely because it had everyone that had ever been certified, uh, accredited rather, from essentially the start. So, um, yeah. So we knew we were estimating somewhere around the uh, 10, 8 to 10,000. Uh, by the end of the transition period, which is now closed, we had a little over 13,000 actually transition. So um, it's possible that, you know, some of them might not be that current, but, but did so to hedge their bets. But like I said, it's still much better if they don't maintain working, they'll naturally, <clears throat> they'll naturally fall off. So and people have the right to retire and move on to other things if they want to as well. I guess this is a way if if they don't want to work anymore, they just uh, don't recertify and that's it. Yeah, and if they don't recertify, they'll fall off the numbers because our numbers are essentially current uh, up to date on a daily basis. So we can get that all the time. So they will just naturally uh, fall off and, and we'll, we'll maintain a reasonably accurate picture of the profile, uh, profile of the workforce. Uh, and as you said, that yes, there are some that still uh, chose not to. Um, we respect their decision to do so. I think it's unfortunate um, that some didn't. We, there is no doubt that as uh, certification becomes a standard in the industry and normal, uh, government policies and other will, will show preference to that. And we're seeing that happen. So um, we think the vast majority did, but you know, we can't know an exact number but we know there are a few that didn't and uh, that's unfortunate but we respect their decision to do so. But we're saying especially in regards to government jobs uh, we can say almost all government jobs require certification now. Mm. Yeah although certainly by policy they do the extent that that is uh, implemented we're not 100% sure about but certainly that is the intent and and over time the government the respective governments um, and of course they're not all the same there are nine nine jurisdictions so have all slightly different policies but but you can see them gradually uh, updating and strengthening the policy around certification so um, we think that will help if they've missed out do they get a chance to certify again you think yeah well uh, to do so uh, they would require a course uh, so they can't transition anymore because after two and a half years we think uh, in fairness to the people that did come on early uh, that we need to draw a line somewhere and we need to consolidate the system and move on uh, so there's not an opportunity anymore to transition an old credential but anyone that had one is of course eligible uh, to to uh, to apply for and have to be, do a certification test so they just have to go through the testing pro process again but um, yep. That'll, their, their previous accreditation will make them eligible. They wouldn't have to go into it. Will, it will help because clearly they've already, um, by having accreditation previously, they've already demonstrated uh, they meet some of the prerequisite requirements like intercultural and ethical competency, for example. Very good. Thank you very much for clarifying that, uh, Mark. Now, um, look, I don't want to talk too much about PD today because that will be another day that I'd like to talk to you uh, about that in detail. Now, it, like... In your view, what is the importance of PD for an interpreter? As we know, we have to accumulate a certain amount of PD points from uh, the three categories um, over three years. Like, why is it important, do you think, in your view, for an interpreter to have regular PD to continue their professional development? Uh, thanks, Fatih. And it's a bit like, uh, I guess, where I started about why certification in the first place. And I guess it was about that uh, whole journey of, of uh, turning what was a, a 
you know, a, a, what some people would describe as an amateur industry into looking more like a profession. And for most other professions we know, whether it's um, um, teaching or nursing or legal or whatever, those sort of inherent ongoing development requirements are pretty standard. So uh, a, a profession uh, that has those requirements looks and feels um, more like uh, what a profession would look like. And we made the the requirements, and as you said, we'll talk about uh, that we could make a whole uh, series of, of PD on, in its own right, so I'll talk more about uh, the details later. Um, <clears throat> but we think, and it was part of the original recommendation in the report to have the ongoing um, PD requirements, um, mainly to start to look like that profession. And so we're working hard with, you know, the other other industry stakeholders to make sure, because uh, in fairness to the practitioners, if also we uh, mandate it, it's important that we then work with the industry to make sure we can work on increasing um, the access, value and quality of those professional development opportunities. And like I said, well, we can talk much more about that later. But a key plank in it, and I said that the existence of NATI is really about for the benefit of consumers. And it's important for anyone who requires an interpreter, uh, to, you know, to, in, to engage in society, uh, access public services, whatever they need. What NADI certification does for them, and, and, and PD is a, a part of that, but what it does for those uh, consumers, if they see someone that has NADI certification, well, they immediately know, um, without doing any further sort of research or looking, but immediately know that the, the interpreter who's working with them uh, has had some level of formal training, have had their skills independently assessed by NATI through its test, uh, that they have to abide by a professional code of ethics, that they are current in their practice and they engage in ongoing PD. So it's, I guess it's part of that package that gives confidence to people who rely on the services of translators and interpreters. Very good. And I think in regards to turning our industry into a profession is quite um, obvious in the last uh, few years. And I think both as training institutions and as NATI, as well as the practitioners, I think, uh, you know, we're not there yet, but we're definitely on the right track in regards to turning our industry into a profession rather than occupation, or like you said, you know, with an amateur approach as it was mostly seen back in the day. And it has to be a journey. It's not going to happen really quickly. It's taken several decades, I guess, for some of the uh, things to, to I guess, deteriorate. And so it's not going to turn around quickly, but we have to keep making uh, positive, regular, incremental steps toward that. And I guess, you know, in time, uh, being a practitioner as well, and I'm sure all those practitioners listening out there, you know, one day we'll see that all this will reflect with the remuneration as well, that, uh, you know, everyone's asking me, telling me, you know, but why are we getting paid this much? And I think that's why when we turn it into a more of a professional um, industry, I think in time that'll that'll catch up, that'll come with that as a package. I hope so. And that's what certainly we'll be uh, working toward. I don't think it's any secret that the remuneration for a profession is is, is pretty poor, um, not something that you know, we can control directly, but I think collectively uh, all the key stakeholders can can make a contribution toward that. And I think, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Uh, are we not paid enough because we're not a profession or we're not a profession because we're not paid enough? And so I think um, making these gradual uh, uh pushing on this journey and starting to get the respect of other professions that start to see it the same way um, will, will, uh, will hopefully help that case. Indeed, I'm confident we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, now, just want to bring you back to what's happening these days with the whole COVID-19 situation, Mark. It's inevitable. I mean, wherever we go, wherever we look, we're constantly seeing new developments and it's really hard to keep up with them. 
Um, within regards to Nati, what are the updates uh, with COVID-19? I mean, in Melbourne, we're in stage three now. Um, we had testing and I think they've been postponed again um, with the PD points. I mean, work is not as much as it used to be. What's what's happening? What are the Nazi COVID-19 updates? Can you shed a little bit of light on those? Yes, yeah, certainly. It's certainly been a challenge and continues to be. And uh, every time we think we have a uh, we have a plan, something else changes to affect it. So our latest strategy is uh, not necessarily to plan for anything, but just plan to be agile and adaptive, um, and have uh, and have things in place. And it's been a real credit to our um, to our staff to be able to manage that, and our board of directors who have been really de uh, determined to do that. So, firstly, speaking of the the board, and it's, and it's now public that the last. Um, meeting the board approved a uh, pretty substantial uh, su support package for practitioners in relation to the requirements for professional development and work practice. So um, the, for the, a 15 month period from April, uh, just gone April, 2020, right through till June, 2021, uh, the cost of the recertification will be only 50% of what would normally be the case. Um, and the PD and work practice requirements will only be uh, two thirds of that, what would normally be the case as well. So. Um, we hope that that provide a little bit of uh, relief to some practitioners who are finding it a little bit difficult. Uh, and that was a significant announcement by the board and, you know, it cost somewhere in the you know, half to three quarters of a million dollars. So, um, but it's something we thought was, was really worthwhile to do. In terms of the testing environment, we have been working very hard on looking at alternatives. So uh, obviously for a period that looked like we couldn't test at all. And so we, we canceled for good reasons. We've have uh, successfully been able to deliver some forms of testing online. And we started with doing our, um, I guess the, the uh, English proficiency testing initially, cause it was an easier, uh, less risk trial. And we, we were able to do that successfully. Uh, and just last week we successfully uh, implemented, uh, actually ran uh, several interpreter tests uh, in an online uh, platform. So we are now investing much further in, in that. Uh, and in terms of translator testing, we've postponed because we didn't want to bring large groups of people together for obvious reasons. Sometime from about September, we have uh, invested in a new online platform. So translation testing will begin again uh, sometime in September on a new platform. Uh, online platform so people won't come to the office at all uh, and we're continuing to develop uh, a capability to be able to do interpret the tests the same way or at least uh, in part way so in locations other than Melbourne we actually have started or about to restart face-to-face -face interpreter testing um, we are, we are these, jealous Mark here in Melbourne mm, we are jealous yep. yeah well, our, our team in Melbourne has done some, as I said, some great work with able to um, come up with some uh, very innovative uh, means around that, and they will form a lesson to other jurisdictions where we can't guarantee that another uh, big city won't have same issues down the track. So, like I said, we're building that flexibility in and continuing um, <clears throat> to invest and develop our online capacity for the future as well. Look, very good. I think um, what COVID has uh, taught all of us is a lot of patience and uh, adaptation skills, 
right? Indeed, we have become very familiar with uh, uh, Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams over the last number of months. Uh, our, our our team has worked very hard, including even our uh, uh, contracted examiners who do obviously work with marking and setting tests. We've been doing all of those workshops uh, over video connection like this. And so lots of people have proven they've got some uh, some new skills and, and we've all got a bit better at using it since we've started. Do you think hopefully when things go back to normal, some of this remote connecting will still be around as, as part of our daily lives, just in general? Without doubt. Certainly for Nati, uh, there'll be some things we can, we'll need go, uh, that are more suited to face-to-face, but there are lots of, lots of work uh, that will still be done over video. Uh, we need to save money. That will save us money on travel and other things. And everything we save, we can try and help to put into improve uh, improve the system, but there is no doubt this will make some permanent changes. I can't speak for the rest of the industry, but for Nati, uh, absolutely no doubt. No, I think just for the general population, it's opened up a brand new page for us in uh, communication and communicating with each other. Um, look, uh, if you don't mind, Mike, I want to bring you back to the PD. Now, your the Nati website, I know it's been going under some uh, updating recently as well. I mean, as a practitioner, can uh, an interpreter or a translator get news of PDs off the Nati website? I mean, is there this one website where a practitioner can go to to see what's going on as opposed to going through all the different kinds of um, PD uh, providers? Yeah, well, certainly, and uh, and thanks. Yes, our website had a major uh, revamp and upgrade, and, and was relaunched in just in April, <clears throat> in amongst all of the all of the COVID. So I encourage uh, all your uh, listeners and practitioners to keep a bit of regular contact with our website because there's always news and events and updates on there. It does include everything we know about PD opportunities. I should be clear and acknowledge that it is not the only single place there are, but we're happy to um, pretty much support and promote any opportunity for, for professional development for any practitioner. So anyone, any provider uh, that's got something on, we're happy to uh, put it not only on our website, but also in our regular monthly NATI newsletter. So if anyone is not already subscribed to the NATI news, I would uh, encourage to do so because we put opportunities there as well. And of course, other other providers like um, some service providers, just like all graduates, uh, of course, OZIT are another one that uh, do as well. And they usually let us know when they've got something on and we help help promote it. Um, with the news that are, do practitioners who are certified, do they automatically get it or do they have to actually subscribe? They subscribe. Um, it's, and it's a pretty simple process. You just put your email. Most of them are on there already, but if they aren't getting it regularly, then yeah, you can subscribe to it via the website and you'll get it every month. Yeah, eyes out there. If you already haven't done so, make sure you subscribe to the Nati newsletter and get all your latest Nati information. Um, Look, Mark, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And I want to say congratulations again on your five-year anniversary. And we hope to see you around for many, many years to come. And uh, again, thank you very much for your participation today. Thank you very much, Fatin. I look forward to when I can uh, get out and see a few more people uh, face-to-face again. Well, we look forward to having you here in Melbourne, maybe not very soon, (laughs) but hopefully in the near future. In due course, yep. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to our Conversations podcast. This week, I had Mike Painting, CEO of Nati, 
And um, just reminding you as well, subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as our podcast channels on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Um, for our upcoming webinars and PD opportunities, you can click on our website, which you can find in the episode description. Also, if you have any ideas, because I'll be interviewing practitioners as well, um, if you have any ideas and you want to be a guest here one day, drop me a line. Uh, my email address is fatih at allgraduates.com.au. That's F-A-T-I-H at allgraduates.com.au. And maybe one day we'll be here and having a little bit of a chat. Thank you again so much, Mark. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay healthy, stay safe, and be well. Thanks, Fatih. All the best. Graduates Conversations Podcast.